Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 140, week 140, volume 140, number fucking 140. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Travis of This Is Hell, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's start things off like we do every week, and it's a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. Got to give a special mention and a special shout out to Mark from Michigan. Thank you for discovering the show. Thank you for getting in touch. Thank you for the feedback, the kind words. Welcome to the Mosh Zone community, dude, and stoked that you found us and you love what we're doing. For everyone else listening, The inboxes are always open. Drop me a message. Drop me a comment. Happy to communicate. Love hearing from all of you. The only other thing that's going on is, guys, help us out with a rating and review on iTunes. So even if you don't use iTunes, jump on there. Help us out with a rating and review. It all goes into an algorithm, which helps the show get out to more people. And of course, if the show gets out to more people the show fucking grows. So help us out this week, guys. Take some time out of your week. Give us a rating and review. So enough of the ramblings. Let's kick into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and talk to Travis of This Is Hell. First thing, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So for the unaware and the uneducated, what and who are This Is Hell? They formed around 2004. I would still say they're active. They've taken a bit of time off. They've got five albums and four EPs to their name. Style-wise, it's kind of hardcore punk meets thrashy, crunchy hardcore. So think Comeback Kid meshed with Power Trip. I think that's the perfect way to describe them. They're a band that I discovered around 2005-2006. Been a fan ever since. Great band, great music, and Travis was a great guest. I hope you enjoy this chat. That chat with Travis is coming up now. So everyone gets the same start-off question and is, you know, it's kind of like not a heavy band, but do you remember a band that you know, when you discovered it at a a young age, you became obsessed with and it opened your world to music existing? Um, I I mean, I'm going to be 38 next month, so I guess most um, people my age probably uh, would say Green Day. Green Mm -hmm. Day, like probably Green Day or Nirvana would probably be like the two like first kind of... um, I guess, you know, mainstream kind of non, I guess, non-hardcore bands that I like uh, got into at like an early age. I guess that maybe started me on my journey of uh, being into music, I guess, you know, probably, I'd say probably Green Day more than Nirvana because I got this, like the first concert I went to, I saw Green Day play. So I think that that was probably more, um, more pivotal, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the. I'm 38 next year. I'm 38 in February, so you're the same age as as me. So, yeah. I mean, was this? Are we talking Dookie, or are we talking 
bit later? Like, what what album was that um, we were referencing? So I got into I got into them on Dookie, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because it was just such a big record. I feel like you couldn't escape it. Mm. Um, uh, they came they came around to. I grew up on on, on Long Island uh, in New York, and they came around to play the arena where the where the hockey team I support plays at, and um, the I was. I don't know. I guess I was maybe a year too young and my mom wouldn't let me go. My brother went to the show. He's uh, like 18 months older than I am. So he went and then uh, I was really bummed that I couldn't go. But then the next year, I think it was, they came around on, I guess it was Nimrod. I think it it was a Nimrod Mm -hmm. tour, I think. Mm -hmm. And same thing. They played the same arena, uh, like 10 minutes from my parents' house. And uh, I got to go to that. And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of wild, like, uh, experiencing like such a big show, you know, mm. as your first, as your first show, uh, I guess most people's first, you know, first music, live music experience is typically in like an arena or like in a very large venue, you know, but I just remember like sitting there, I was like in the seats and, uh, and when the lights turned off before Green Day uh, went on stage like the whole like arena like just ran ran down to the floor to get on to get onto general admission you know <laughs> and i was just like people were just like getting trampled and security is just like grabbing kids and just throwing them back over <laughs> the thing to the seats and i was just like oh my god this is terrifying <laughs> i was like i don't know like 12 or 13 years old or something so i mean did that did that then open your world to deep diving further or what was your like musical discovery uh, from there i don't I don't recall. I don't think so. Um, my brother, when he was a teenager, he started he started playing in like local bands and stuff, and um, and I wound up going. And a friend of his from high school kind of introduced us to like hardcore, and like we the three of us like went to like our first show together. I think in '96 <clears throat> or '97, or and uh, and that. Well, sorry. I, I think we went to the. Sh- I think we went to the, the show first, the three of us, and then kind of like just started going to shows like every you know every weekend or whatever from that point on. And then shortly after, my brother started playing in some local bands, and uh, I think you know I think by him playing in a band and me going to see his bands play and just kind of over time his he started touring and stuff like that. And I think I just kind of wanted to um, kind of go down that path as well, you know. Um, but I, I don't think I was overly super interested in music just, just on the strength of like the, you know, going to see Green Day or whatever. I think it was, I think, it, I don't think it was until I kind of started going to local like punk hardcore shows that I kind of was like, got super into it. Cause I never really, um, I don't know. I, I, I think like it's like a, a cliche thing to say, but I didn't really like love seeing bands play in massive rooms. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. liked that mm-hmm. small club kind of like fun vibe of it, you know? So I think I connected more with the with the hardcore side of things. So I mean, with the hardcore music, you know, your brother's doing all of this. Was was there a band, you know, apart from your brother's influence, but was there a band that really influenced you into, you know, being into hardcore? Because it's quite a switch. You know, not disrespecting Green Day, I had the same obsession with Green Day about the same age, but there's quite a quite a difference in a Green Day thing to going into a more hardcore thing. There are similarities, but there's quite a switch. So was there a band yeah, that yeah. really woke you um, up to hardcore? I'm trying to th- like, I mean, for, you know, growing up on Long Island, there was, you know, there was a lot of, <clears throat> you know, local bands that kind of 
you would see playing all the time and were kind of the staples. And like, for, for me, I think two of the bands that kind of made, made me like watching them kind of made me want to play in a band other than like, you know, my brother doing it was Glassjaw and mm-hmm. Silent Majority. Um, and then I wasn't seeing like, and then there was like the bands that were from the city, like Warzone and like H2O. And so like my first, like, you know, the first, I think the first show I went to H2O played. Um, and that was like the first seven inch that I bought. And I remember buying like a, I don't know if I bought a Warzone seven inch or I just, there was like a local, or like a New York city radio, like a radio station that would play punk and hardcore, you know, on like a certain night. And, um, and I would kind of always, I, we would tune into that and then, and we would like record, we would get a blank tape and like pop it in the stereo and like record the whole show. So that way we had like a tape of the show and we would kind of like listen to that as like almost like a, like a mixtape, you know? But like, yeah, Warzone and H2O were kind of two that stand out from like the New York scene. And then Glass, like Glassjaw, Silent Majority and like Vision of Disorder were probably the Long Island ones that were like that I would see, you know, I guess more frequently because I I didn't start going to shows in, in New York City until I was a little older. One thing you mentioned in there and a lot of our listeners will know, you know, or maybe don't know is Long Island is renowned for having quite a well, back then, having quite a vibrant local scene, you know, with gigs, bands, um, you know, the community itself. So were you seeing the community being a very vibrant thing um, and was the local scene something that you could aspire to? You know, were there bands that were breaking out that you looked at and you went, you know, if they can do it, anyone can do it? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting because, you know, we could, there was, you know, lots of places that bands played and it kind of almost didn't matter who was playing. There was a a point in time when I first started going to shows where like, you know, every Friday night we would go to this venue and there'd be like, you know, 500 people there for either like all local bands or like maybe, you know, a, 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 a touring band was coming through and there was some local bands opening for them. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, it was kind of cool because like I said, it didn't really matter who was playing. People were just kind of like coming in and just kind of having a good time. Um, and yeah, I think, um, kill your idols is like one who kind of early on were a band that was kind of getting out there touring all over America, going to Europe and stuff like that. And then the same with, uh, vision of vision of disorder, I think was, them and Glassjaw both were kind of like the ones who really kind of broke kind of big, you know, like they both wind up signing to Roadrunner Records and, um, you know, doing Ozfest and kind of like just going out there and like touring with, with big bands and then, you know, coming back to Long Island and playing. I mean, the, the, the vision of the sort of actually like the first show I went to, they were headlining and they were just, you know, essentially a local band at the time, but like, I don't know. There's probably like a thousand people at the show. It was just a mass. They were just like a massive local band and then just start. And then they signed and then they just, you know, the next thing you know, it was like, Oh, they're like playing shows in Asia and they're playing shows with like Pantera. And like, it just kind of was like, you just like, couldn't believe that it was like a band that like was from a couple minutes away from where you grew up, you know? So when was the moment that you kind of, you know, the light bulb hit that you wanted to, start following your brother's kind of pursue pursuit of music like was there a moment that you thought this is what i want to do or was it by chance that you started getting involved in in actually being in bands because you mentioned before you weren't really you know into it that much at first 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're into going to sh- going to shows and being a participant of shows, right? Just going and like stage diving and whatever and having a good time and just being an, like an active participant in the like community, if you will. Um, I don't know. I started I, <clears throat> I started traveling a little bit for shows when I was like 17 or so, maybe 17 or 18. We, we would, you know, drive up to like to Boston or something like that, go see American Nightmare, go see Bane go to Rhode Island, see the Hope Conspiracy, like kind of do little little road trips on the weekends with friends and um or or you know, or like go and see go like go and see like my brother's band play like in upstate New York or something and just ta- or tag along with them for some shows or whatever. Um I think when I started traveling <clears throat> is when I kind of like the light bulb went off a little bit where I was like, man, this would be kind of fun to do this as well, you know? Um so I guess I probably um I think I was still, I think I might have still been in in high school when I first. I think I was probably seventeen when I first start like started my first my first band, um, and just you know started playing kind of like local shows, whatever. And then uh, I had an, a, like an, a second band after that that like I think we did like one one tour, maybe two tours, um, and then this is hell is kind of like when. I started like the, the started playing in like a serious band, you know. We kind of like from the from the start, we kind of like made a point to really put in the touring time and kind of just stay active. How did you go with um, you know, kids listening? There was a time when YouTube didn't exist, so you know, finding <laughs> finding how to you know develop vocal abilities was not handed to you on a platter like it is now. I think people don't understand how much information there is if they want to start singing or screaming, as some people call it. So, I mean, where where was you with your learning and discovery of your voice? Like, was it literally just, you know, scream until it hurt or did you have some techniques that you learned? I mean, where did uh, you go? I mean, when I started, I just was just like, just just yelling into the microphone right you know you're like young and you're you're young and you're angry and you're just kind of like doing whatever comes naturally you know um i guess it wasn't until uh you know this is how i started touring more and more and more and more that like i kind of started doing a little bit of just like warming up and kind of you know being being a little smarter about um my voice you know I, I was it was pretty good. I, I've only um, I've only I've only lost my voice like maybe two or three times. Um, actually, once was right before we uh, right before we came to Australia. We were recording. We went to we flew to L.A. to record an album. Um, I, don't, I think it might have been Weight of the World, mm. um, and we were recording. I blew my voice out doing you know doing my vocals and i only had a couple days left in california before we had to fly to australia to tour and i saw i basically just had to like be be quiet for like a full day or two days i think it was maybe to get my voice back because like basically like the only like i still don't i mean even after doing what like you know as much touring and all all that that i did i still don't have any technique or anything i just kind of like figured out what worked for me and really the only the or the best way to kind of like get your voice repaired and like back to normal is just to literally just be quiet Mm. like a lot of people make a mistake make the mistake of like whispering which does does more damage than just like talking regular because your vocal cords kind of like slam together when you're whispering um 
so basically it was just kind of like two days of me like just literally just not saying shit and it was annoying and hard to do and like my band would be like trying to talk to me and i'd just be like typing on my phone or like you know just or like writing writing on my on like a piece of paper telling them what i wanted to eat for dinner or whatever you know like because that was the only way to kind of like make sure that i could like have my voice back soon and so my voice came back and then like I, you know, I lost two days of like when I was supposed to be recording vocals. So like I wound up having to like do like four or five songs in one day. And I somehow managed to just kind of like get in there, do it, get it done. And then we like, you know, left for Australia the next day and it was fine. Um, the only other time, only other time I can recall is we were touring in England and I don't know if I was sick or something, but, um, we wound up having to do, um, we recorded like a BB a session for BBC for like for radio one. And that was like in the afternoon. And then we had to go play a show that night and I was already like in, in pretty rough shape for the BBC thing, but like singing twice, like doing two shows in one day. is just, it's like, I can't, I can't do it. Like it just, I don't think anybody really should do it. You know, it's just not mm-hmm. really good. Like you, you should rest, rest your voice, you know? And, uh, and that definitely put me in in rough shape on that tour. Um, but otherwise, I've been pretty pretty fortunate, you know. I think, um, you know, I don't like. I just kind of get up there and just just it's it's my voice. It's just me raising my voice, you know. Um, and I, you can kind of tell, I think, when you are pushing yourself too hard, or you know, the, the you know, getting in the van after a show and fucking being rowdy with the dudes and yelling and whatever is like the worst thing, you know, it's hard to avoid because it's like a good time. Right. But, you know, as boring as it is, sometimes you kind of just got to crawl in the van and just kind of shut your mouth and try to get some sleep and just drink water, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things you've, you've learned, you learned your voice along the way. You learned what worked and what didn't work. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned there earlier about when the band came together and it was kind of a few pieces from other bands that formed, and you said that, you know, you guys were really determined to kind of give it a shot. And one thing that you guys always known for is just how hardworking of a band, especially in those early years. I mean, you know, you were gaining reputations for being such a DIY touring outfit. Was was that something that you just thought was unnecessary or did you go out of your way to do that? Because nowadays I think some bands forget that, things aren't handed to them on a platter. you got to work for it. Um, and if you put in the yards, you'll get it. And you guys were one of those bands that showed if you work hard, you will get the opportunities. Yeah, I don't know if we if we just were eager to get out there or we thought, I mean, it, it was, you know, I guess it was probably a couple of years before, like, you know, the streaming services and such where you, because, you know, like now you can just kind of like, record some music, put it online, kind of build, build a bit of a, fo- build a bit of a following mm. before you go out and tour and kind of like, know you, you'll know where you have fans and, and then you can kind of go there. Right. And focus on those places. Whereas like, we just kind of like, uh, I personally just booked like that first tour was like two months long and I just booked it myself. I just kind of got some email addresses and stuff from, from friends that, you know, had toured and stuff and just sent out emails and just kind of like <clears throat> put it together myself. Um, and then while while we were on that tour, I was just kind of like booking the next tour from from the road. Um, and that's kind of just how we did it. You know, like we would go and play somewhere on, you know, on tour 
And then, you know, a couple months later, we'd go back and play that same place. And then it was kind of like, all right, cool. Like some of these kids were here last time. And that's kind of this the organic way to like just build build the following. Right. Um, that's kind of the only way to, to do it, at least then, you know, whereas now um, at, like our friends, uh, that band Incendiary from Long Island, those guys all have like jobs and they can't like tour full time. But they have the benefit of like having, you know, the Internet and everything. Right. So it's like they just kind of like build up. A, a large following and then they kind of just like pick and choose where they want when where and when they want to play you know so they can just like go and fuck off to japan and go to japan for like a weekend and play a couple shows and then come back to their jobs or just go like fly to california for like three shows you know um which is which is a great model you know i kind of wish that we, we would have done more of that because you know we wound up just being away so much and you know i think we may be I don't know. I don't know if we if we overdid it, you know, if we may, maybe played too much in certain places, you know, because then people can be like, oh, this, you know, they 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 come back like every two months, like I'll just I'll catch them next time, you know, and it kind of doesn't create that uh that demand, you know. Yeah, that's got, but that's a hard balance. I mean, that's a balance that yeah. you know, if you don't turn into that town enough, though, then maybe then people, people forget. Yeah, yeah it, it's hard. And shout out to those boys, um, because they're. They're incendiary are fucking legends. Um, yeah, they, they were they were meant to come down by you actually. Yes, uh, before um, the pandemic hit. So yes, I'm re- sure they'll I'm sure they'll get there like at some point. Yes, I received a lovely inbox um, about it because um, I've had Brendan on the show. Um, oh, awesome! Yeah, and he was. Oh, I mean, we're we're talking over a hundred episodes ago, and we still, you know follow each other and stay in touch and yeah i knew they were coming down and i was like all right sweet and then he was like yeah it's not happening i was like yeah <laughs> yeah it'll happen it'll happen eventually yeah. um yeah i'm sure they'll get there so but let's let's you know talk about the kind of big step that the band had which was linking into trust kill and then the debut full length sundowning um at this stage you know, we're talking when labels were, you know, an interesting thing now is bands don't necessarily need a label. Um, labels yeah. still have a lot of power. There's still a lot of importance for labels. But now you can really make a thing for yourself without one. But back in 2006, labels were like a massive fucking step for a band. Um, yeah. How did you get onto Trust Kill? And, you know, was there a sense of um, anticipation and nerves, um, you know, about being on a label of that size? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the touring was kind of the thing, right? Like we, like we just, we, like we just spoke about, like we, we toured and we toured so much that kind of, you know, even if people didn't, never saw us or didn't really know much about us, they just, they knew our name because it was kind of like, you know, every every month or every two months, you would you know, log on to Lamgoat or something, one of the one of the websites, and it'd be like, this is all tour dates, you know. And it was kind of like, man, that band's fucking always touring. So Josh from Trustkill, I think, kind of caught wind of because that's the thing for labels, especially especially years ago. Like, if you toured, like if you toured heavy, that was like very appealing to labels because that's kind of the way to get your you know your name out there and sell albums and kind of build your profile, right? So. Um, I think he was very intrigued because we were just, we were like on the road so much. Um, and then he came, he came to see us play. We played a show in, in New York city. Um, I guess it would have been 2005 
he came out to, to watch us play, um, I guess after kind of noticing that we were so active and, uh, and yeah, he saw us play the show in New York city. And that was, uh, kind of the show that got assigned, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I was, um, if I just didn't realize at the time that it was, I mean, not that I didn't think it was a big deal because at the time, like it was like trust kill and ferret were like, you know, other than like, you know, maybe like Roadrunner or like a nuclear blast or something like those, those two were like the like hardcore kind of metalcore labels. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were, we were psyched and I, I don't know if maybe I just was naive or just like so, so involved at the moment that I didn't realize that it was as big of a deal as it was. I don't know. I guess maybe, um, getting to, getting to spend like a full month in the studio maybe it kind of was the the moment that we were like oh fuck this is like kind of wild you know making making like a music video like a real music video you know i think those those moments were kind of like getting jake bannon to do our album artwork mm. you know i think we're kind of like those three moments were kind of like oh shit moments you know where we got enough money to like go and like spend the full month in a studio with like a a dude who was like doing all the all the good and cool like hardcore albums you know and then yeah getting jake who's you know artwork is notorious with like punk and hardcore bands right um yeah i think those couple moments was kind of like oh yeah this is this is for real well it felt like that album you know being on Truskill got it an automatic kind of bump you know it you know got the got the ground swell behind it unto itself but then that album seemed like it really was popping off everywhere you know you were seeing it in magazines um started seeing you guys on a lot of tours um and in in many sense of the way i would say you becoming a bit of a hot property um in the overall scene not just hardcore scene did it feel like that album made some waves for you guys yeah i mean there's no doubt that that was like you know the kind of jumping off for us like that was the that that you know that album definitely put us on put us on the map if you will put us on the ra- on the radar of like people outside of the punk and hardcore world you know and kind of i guess put our name in front of people in the metal world and even like in the you know the warp tour kind of scene and stuff like that you know like we never did warp tour but like we toured with some bands like in that world and stuff you know a little later on um but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, having, having, a having a, a label put out your, your album and being able to like go into your local, you know, go, go into like Best Buy or like fucking Virgin Megastore or something, you know, like to go into like a legit place where like, you know, massive artists have their music sold and, and, and you have like a little section with your band's name on it. You're kind of just like, oh fuck, like this is, this is kind of crazy. And then, you know, being able to like, like you said, you bought you bought our fucking CD in Australia. Like that's like insane, you know, for like a band that was as young as we were and just kind of starting up. And just the fact that like people like literally all over the world like were aware of who we were. You're also a band that you know. This was a time when you know you were appearing on any kind of bill. You were a band that could you know fit on a hardcore bill easily but you could also mix it amongst the metalcore and you know the more crossover styles was was that something that you guys always had a feather in your cap for that you could you know play anywhere on any bill 
um, and, you know, get amongst it? Or was it something that was a bit of a test? Because I think sometimes people listening might forget, you know, it could be a bit intimidating playing to an all metal style audience and you're the hardcore punks on it. Yeah, I think um, early, like, I think early on, we, you know, I think some, I kind of was always up for it. Like, I just was kind of like down to play. And I don't know, I, I like, as, you know, as a kid going to shows, like, the shows were like always like super diverse, you know? Hmm. So that, that, that was like always something that I thought was cool. You know, like you'd see, like you would go to shows, you'd see flyers for shows and it'd be like, you know, like lifetime playing with 108 and like earth crisis, you know, like, or just like, just, you know, a lot of like styles clashing kind of, but like everyone was, was down with it, you know? Um, so I was always open to doing stuff like that. I think early on there was maybe two dudes who were kind of, a little hesitant to do it you know we i remember we got offered to play like four or five shows at bayside and it was kind of like a it was like a bit of a thing where like half the band was like this would be cool let's do it and the other half was like no this is a really bad idea like we're gonna go down really poorly and this doesn't make sense for us like sonically you know and we wound up doing it and it wound up being really really good um and we were and you know it, and it was it was bayside valencia and Spitalfield, like just bands that are just not like us, you know. And for us, we were like the aggressive heavy band, and 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 it was awesome. And and you know, I think early on we did some other stuff like that, where like we, we were the aggressive band on the show. And sometimes you kind of like, oh man, like they're just gonna fucking have no idea what to think of us. But I think we wound up doing really well when we were that band, you know. I think I think the times that we were the the soft band, if you will, like didn't like didn't go in our favor you know um i think the, the you know the times that we were like kind of the one to kind of especially if we were especially if we were like opening a tour you know like we did a tour i think in 2009 maybe where it was funeral funeral for a friend the sleeping and amorosa and we were opening and it's just kind of like you you get to set the you get to set the tone for the show you know and you get up there and you just like you're super ener- energetic and aggressive and like you know, chances are the kids probably don't know who you are. They're like seeing you for the first time, but they're just kind of like, oh shit, this is kind of fun, you know? So I think we, I think we, you know, we benefited from that. Um, later on, we, you know, we did some more, some more metal leaning stuff and, and it was, you know, those were good too, but I think sometimes we were, we did, did, did you remember the Sounds of the Underground tour? Mm. Was that on your radar? Yeah, I've got the DVD. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so we did that and that was kind of like, it was, I guess it was still, we were still touring on sundowning. Um, and so we were kind of, and, and that tour, it was definitely a lot more metal, you know? Mm. So we were kind of like the odd band out on that tour, you know, it was like, like Acacia strain shadows fall, Chimera job for a cowboy every time I die. Um, so we were kind of like the soft band on that, you know, and it was fine, but like, we definitely, if we would have done that tour three or four years later, it would have been so much better for us because we would just became a much more heavy and like aggressive band. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that, you know, if you know, I'm lucky enough to have seen you, seen you guys in a live setting. And I think one thing that probably definitely also pay paid in your favor is the fact that the shows that you guys put on uh, are just fucking intense. Like it's dialed up to, to go spinal tap it's gone to 11 
Um, <laughs> and and I think that's important, especially when you're playing cross bill kind of setups. Is you need to still, you know, even if they don't like the music, they still need to come away and go that band put on a show. And was that was that easy to do? Uh, sometimes, you know, I think it's always, um, I mean, I think everyone likes to be like, oh, you know, whether there's three people or 300 people, like we're going to give it our all, you know? And like, I think that's bullshit, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) obviously you're not, you're not going to get up there and like fucking be dog shit. But I think of course it's much easier to get up there. And if there's a lot of people in there energetic, you know, if you get up there and it's like a couple of people and they don't give a fuck about you then all you want to do is get off that stage as fast as possible, you know, or at least for me. Um, so, it, it, but it, it, but it like varies because sometimes you get up there and the crowd is indifferent and part of you is like, you know what, like I'm going to win, I'm going to win them over, you know, and you kind of just go even harder. And like, by the end of it, you know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but like you, you tried, you know, or like at least, you know, you kind of, Maybe, maybe like afterwards someone's like oh i never heard of you guys but like i'm a fan now whatever and like even if it's only a couple people it's it's worth it right you know um but sometimes you get up there and you just you know you just can't wait to fucking finish because it's just like what am i like you just have those mo- like you know when you when you've toured as much as we have you just kind of like you have those nights on tour when it's not it's not good and it's not fun and you're like what the fuck am i doing with my life <laughs> you know <laughs> you're like i'm like away from my family like fucking eight months a year for this you know like mm. they don't, the people here don't care about us like they don't care you know like so like we you know early, earlier that day we probably spend a thousand dollars getting our fucking van fixed and like rushed to to get to the show to play for people who didn't give a shit you know like so there's kind of you know ups and ups and downs of it yeah and i think that i, I love the the honesty about it because as you said some people just say it doesn't matter how many i turn it on but that is the reality is yeah I mean, yeah you can't like i mean for me personally i can't if i get up there and i'm not having a good time like i can't fucking pretend that i'm having a good you no, know like no. i mean i'll be i'll be professional and like mm. i'm not gonna mm. be like a moody prick or anything but like there's definitely there's been plenty of shows where like we you know plan on playing 12 songs and we wound up playing eight songs because it's just like yeah, like let's just wrap this up like what do we, like <laughs> especially especially if it's like one of those situations where like i'm sick or like my voice is having a rough time like why am i gonna like like you know hurt myself or like put us in a you know put us in a position to like have have more bad sh- like for me to have a, a bad vocal performance the next night because of this you know what i mean yeah. um it's yeah it's kind of you know you have good nights and and bad nights and you just gotta hope the the good ones outweigh the bad ones oh exactly man um now an interesting next few steps for you guys was what i would say the maturity of the sound you know misfortunes uh was more aggressive and i feel a bit more raw than sundowning and then you guys changed labels and then i feel like it you guys really brought in the thrash element to your sound um was that just a natural evolution for the band to start incorporating the thrash sound or was it just by, you know, intention or mistake? Because if you compare sundowning to like black mass, you think it's a different fucking band. Yeah. Um, you know, Rick who play plays guitar, he's the, the, the primary songwriter and, you know, he, he grew up, you know, a metalhead like Metallica has been his favorite band forever. And, super into the big four and kind of, you know, all things in that world. And, um, 
you know, he, he, he's played in, in a ton of bands over the course of, you know, his musical career and stuff. And, um, I don't know, at some point, I think we just kind of, um, you know, not that we were like bored of playing what we were playing, but we just kind of didn't want to like keep doing the same thing. So we, I think we just kind of thought it'd be cool to introduce some of those influences, you know? And, um, it's, what's funny is that he like, there's, I mean, with him, it's like, who knows, because he's been doing it for so long and like just was constantly been been writing since like his, his first band I think was started he played drums in a band that started like in 1996 and then he played guitar and like some other bands and blah 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 but like so he's he's been writing forever right so th- there's there's definitely one song in particular like that's on um that's on way to the world that he wrote in like the early 2000s or something or like in the late 90s you know <laughs> that he just kind of like re- reworked for this is hell so like you know he like he's he definitely his his roots are like in metal first and foremost before he got into hardcore you know um and then also uh, the the other dudes playing in the like in the band especially on um, black mass our drummer and our bass player like they're they come from metal and not hardcore you know so i think it was kind of like an easy a bit of an easy transition because that was like much more familiar to them, you know? Um, and they were just really good players because I think a lot of times there's, um, there's bands in hardcore that kind of try to dabble in, in metal, hmm. but they're not good. They're not good. They're not good players, you know, mm-hmm. especially like, like, I mean, drumming in particular is definitely very noticeable. If a drummer is not good, like trying to play metal is t- difficult, you know, obviously guitars too. <laughs> But um, but I find that there's very few bands who can kind of like, can kind of dabble in it. You know, um, Power Trip is one example of dudes who could play. You know, mm-hmm. and, and did t- did such a good job with crossing over. You know, um, but I think a lot of bands kind of they just they couldn't do it. You know, but fortunately, I think for this is hell, we always had you know Rick, who's a great guitar player, and we've always had really good drummers, um, so they could kind of hang with like whatever the whatever style we were playing. It's also difficult because, you know, were you guys at all, you know, it's the yin and yang of it that, you know, you want to do what you want creatively to push yourself and enjoy what you're doing, but then you also don't want to alienate the sound that so many people love you for because, you know, hardcore is a kind of music where, you know, I'm a hardcore fan to my death, but also there is a lot of negative in some of the people. They say that's not hardcore, and then they suddenly abandon yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So were you at it's all? Super, it's super fickle, right? You know. Yeah, but so were you, were you worried at all that you know the fan base you had created were going to abandon you? Because I don't think they did. I think they stuck with you. No, because I think the thing is that of course there's going to be people like it's just the nature of hardcore is like you get into hard for, for most people you get into it you spend you know anywhere from a year to five years being you know involved in it then like you know you go to college and then maybe you're just like all right i'm in college and i'm like drinking and like doing the fucking college thing and like you and then you're over it you know or like or they stay involved but like the band that they thought was cool last year they're on to the next thing right you know So I I always kind of like recognize that. So I knew that like the majority of of the people who like were hot on us on like sundowning, like they weren't going to be there on the next record or whatever, you know, like you you have the core, the core base of people who are going to kind of like ride for you 
and, and stick with it, you know? So I think I wasn't really worried because I figured that anybody who liked sundowning and misfortunes would like, maybe they wouldn't like way to the world or black mass, but they were going to give it a shot and they'd probably still come to see us play, you know? Um, whereas, you know, we knew that the kind of fickle fair weathered kids were going to go off to the next cool band regardless, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think for me, I think sundowning, you take it on its own merits. It's fucking kick ass. And then you look at something like black, black mass and it's just as good, if not the same amount of kick ass. You know, it's a very simple, very boring way of using an analogy, but it kind (laughs) of, kind of sums it up. And for a question I had was looking over the career not including the album we haven't talked about, which is Bastards Still Remain, you know, going from Sundowning to Black Mass, where do you think for you personally is your favourite time period musically and creatively that the band experienced? Um, I think probably, you know, like I think it's, I think it's silly. Like if you, if you don't think that you're, newest album is your best album it's kind of like what are you doing you know like Mm -hmm. like why are you you know like why would you continue if you think you're making subpar or stuff that's not holding up to you know your old your older material so for us like for a while i think we were like a little salty because everyone was just kind of like sundowning sundowning and we're like yeah cool like sundowning's cool but like we were fucking like kids you know like (laughs) and like black mass is like a much better album like just music like just everything about it like you know we just like became a better band you know um so i think it's just i think it was kind of a natural progression and, and growth and uh but yeah i think um i think probably yeah probably I mean, it's it's hard to say because sundowning basically like put us on tour with like a with like bane and it was like for us like that was like a band we looked up to you know um so that was kind of surreal, like getting to go on tour with like Bane and like going on tour with Strike Anywhere. Um, and then kind of doing all of that like cool hardcore stuff, you know. But then like Way to the World and like Black Mass was like, you know, the first time we got to go to Australia, I think was was in 2010. So like mm-hmm. that would have been like Way to the, Way to the World. Um, and then like, you know, maybe, um, you know, doing some cool stuff over like over in in Europe and England and stuff like that. You know, I think, I think probably, I think if I had to take, take like an er- like an era or whatever, you know, I probably would take the like 2010 mm. to like 2013 or something. Um, you know, we did, we did cool stuff early on too, you know, but if, you know, if we would have, if we would have split like, you know, after misfortunes, like we would have never been to Australia. We, w- we would have probably only toured Europe, you know, two or three times thing, you know, so we got to do a lot of stuff, you know, a little like post, I guess, post misfortunes, right. You know, um, is when we kind of, we got to go and play like Reading and Leeds festival in England. You know, we did that twice, um, got to do Soundwave twice. And, you know, I think that was really cool to be able to do that. I would have been, I would have been bummed if like we would have kind of stopped playing and, and didn't get to tick those boxes. And an interesting thing is, you know, you guys went quiet, you know, it's a simple way of saying it, in 2013, um, and then just kind of like out of nowhere in 2016, it was like, oh, yeah, here's an album. It, you know, <laughs> Bastards Still Remain in 2016. It was like, yeah, here it is. It's on Bandcamp, you know. You know, cop it yeah. out, check it out. 
Uh, is that true? Is that true that that was recorded and mixed in one day or mixed? Yeah. Jesus. So, Christ. so even what's even funnier is that so we um like I said, Rick Rick plays in a million bands, and he was he was doing this um this like punky band called the Conflicted, and uh, so he wrote a bunch of songs, and basically the band like they did like a demo, and then like he wrote a batch just a batch of songs for like another release. And they just kind of like fizzled out. They like, sorry, didn't want up doing anything. So he kind of was just sitting on these songs and he was like, yo, he's like, I have these like super, super punk, like early hardcore, like punk songs. He's like, he's like, write some lyrics and like, let's record these for like a This Is Hell release. And I think it was like, it was probably like two years, like it was probably like in 2014 or something or 2015. And I was like, all right, cool. And then like, just fucking never did anything, you know? And then we were like a couple of months out from the 10th anniversary of sundowning. And at that time we were like, oh, it'd be, it'd be funny to fuck with people, and like tease, <laughs> tease something. And people think that we're going to like do like a 10 year tour or something, you know, whatever, just being fucking spiteful shitheads, you know? Um, so he, he was like, yo, like, he's like, I'll write half the songs. We write half the songs. He's like, let's just like get this done. So, um, so yeah, so he, he like, you know, he like demos all the music on his laptop and like kind of like in garage band and shit, whatever. So he sent me, the, he sent me the songs. So like I wrote, I wrote a couple songs, wrote a couple songs. Um, we, uh, we got Johnny Moore who played, um, bass on Misfortunes and did, he did some, he did some of the touring on Sundown and played bass on Misfortunes and did some Misfortunes touring. And then we got Dan Burke who played drums on Sundowning and Misfortunes. And, um, basically Rick, Rick, Dan and Johnny, I think got together once, uh, like jammed the songs without me. And then we went to New Jersey to record with uh brett who plays drums and i am the avalanche he's got a studio out there and basically we just went in and just and just recorded it like in one day and like so i didn't even i never even sung i never sung the songs before until i got in the studio <laughs> just kind of like wrote them and like kind of like sang them in my head and then like there were songs that rick wrote that like I had the lyrics to, but he didn't demo them or anything. So I didn't know how they went. <laughs> so I was just kind of like in the vocal booth and he's just like, he's like, da, 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 da. and I would track that one line. And then the next line he'd be like, it goes like this. And then like, and we just did it like that. And we just like cranked it out. I mean, it's only, you know, what is it like 13 minutes of music or something? Mm -hmm. It's very short, you know? Um, but yeah, we, um, we, it was funny. And the, the, the way we funded it was we, we put up a, we put up a sundowning t-shirt. Because for some reason, I don't think we ever like, I don't think we ever sold a T-shirt that had the Sundowning album cover on it before. So we like did that. We sold, we sold like enough of them to like basically book a day in the studio. Um, so yeah, so we just like went in and we're like, all right, let's just fucking like bang this out. You know, it's it's pretty punk, so like we don't need to like be precious over it. You know, so I think that like most of the stuff is like one take for me. You know, I just kind of like got in there with like a microphone that like you, like same microphone that I would use at a live show, you know, nothing fancy. It just kind of like got in there and just, you know, did one or two runs through a song and like, all right, cool. Next song. Fuck. 
Oh, and you can you can hear that. You know, it's 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 raw and it's, shit. Yeah, <laughs> fucking horrible. No, um, yeah, worst release ever done by any band ever. Um, no, um, yeah, it's it it was. I think it was a big tease because you guys have been quiet for like three, maybe four years. Nothing going on. Then you drop that, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're back!" And then you went quiet. And then we again. proceeded to not do anything. <laughs> Um, that's that's the big move for me was quiet oh yeah here's a release quiet um yeah is i mean it's a question i had to ask with kind of the end of the this is hell stuff is you know understandably let's ignore the shitstorm that 2020 is but you know understandably there are some times where bands get offered anniversary shows reunion shows has that something that's come up and then the second part of the question is if there wasn't chaos going on, do you think you guys could get together and do something again musically or maybe get together and maybe do a short run of shows? Or are we thinking that This Is Hell is just, you know, paused for a while until further notice? Um, so, I mean, you know, yeah, we, we did the Bastards that remain and then we kind of, we like went back into hibernation. And then in 2018, um, the guitar player from Iron Sheik, uh, Long Island band, passed away, and we were friendly with him and his wife. Um, so they were doing, they would, they started doing this uh, like every summer. They would do this festival called Wild Fest on Long Island, and, and basically it was just like a benefit for his family. He had he had a he had a daughter and a son on the way when he when he passed. So it was kind of like a you know a show to kind of help them out with some get them some money and help pay for things, right? Um, so in 2018, they, they hit us up. They're like, hey, would you guys want to like get back together and do this show for Rob and his family? And we're like, yeah, like definitely. like That'd be cool. Um, so we decided to get together to do that. And then while we were like kind of like planning to rehearse and whatever, we're like, you know, it's kind of dumb if we like get together and just do this one show and that's it. You know, and we're like just playing this festival like and we're just playing in the middle of the festival and it's kind of like just this weird one off. So we decided to like book the the same venue for the for the following day, and like do a sundowning show. So we wound up in the summer of 2018. We wound up just doing like a, a Saturday and Sunday at this venue on Long Island, and the Saturday was like us playing this festival with Iron Sheik and some other like local bands. And then Sunday we did our own show where we just played sundowning from start to finish. Um, so when we announced that, like some people started reaching out to us. Um, so then the following weekend we went, we wound up going up to like Montreal, like a, to play a festival up there. And then, um, I think it was the following summer we went to England and we did like four shows and then, uh, I don't know in 2018 and 2019, we wound up playing like maybe six to 10 shows um we didn't have any plans for 2020 we were like weren't opposed to it but we were just kind of like seeing what was going on you know um rick rick and and scuzz uh and tom who basically like are in the in the latest incarnation of this is hell also play in extinction ad Mm -hmm. and they have been pretty active and that's kind of like the main focus for those guys so we basically like, you know, if the schedule allowed, we were kind of open doing things right. Um, 
but yeah at the moment i don't know like who fucking knows when like when shows are gonna be back and stuff i'm kind of i don't want to say that i'm over it but i definitely the the thought of like getting in a rehearsal space and like relearning songs and like raising my voice and stuff like that is not the most appealing you know um but you know once you get over that and you kind of get out there and you like get on stage and play you're kind of like oh fuck this is fun you know um so i think that like you know if somebody was like hey you want to come do a couple shows in australia we'd be like yeah fuck yeah let's go you know um but i think like just doing like a random like if someone like was like hey you want to come up to boston to play a show i'd probably be like eh, no you know like we've, <laughs> we've we've done enough of that i think at this point it's a matter of like going back to to places that are fun or like going to places for the first time like we never we never like got to play in japan so i think if we had the opportunity to like go play in japan like that'd be something that we would do you know or like go and play like in mexico or something you know um and obviously like we'd be open to like going and playing you know in europe again um but yeah, at the moment, you know, fuck, who knows? It's it's by all accounts, it's it sounds like bands aren't going to be able to like play again until like this time next year or something. You know, maybe yeah. maybe some smaller stuff will happen earlier, but it seems it seems pretty bleak. Well, promoters hearing if 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 we see this as hell is going to Japan, if you do not get them to Australia because Japan is basically in our fucking back yeah. backyard, you're a fucking yeah. idiot. Um, you know, we talk about those live venues. I don't know. It's a bit of a side thing, but have you seen some of the photos and shit of these like four people cage looking things that people are seeing at outdoor festivals? Just like weird, like little pods for people yeah. to like kind of, yeah. Oh. Um, and you know, I think for certain, for certain bands, it's funny actually. I was listening to, <clears throat> um, Rick does. Rick does like two different podcasts and they're both like based in wrestling for the most part but but one he's been doing is called it's called thrashers slashers and the road to wrestlemania and he basically it's uh, it's done by year so like say you know so for me like i i went on went on as a guest and we did 1996 was the year that i picked and it was like an album that came out in 96 we discussed a movie that came out in 96 we discussed and then the wrestlemania from that year we discussed and um he had brendan on his podcast from incendiary and they were talking about fuck i might be i might be mixing a podcast it might have been on another one but that's not the important part the important part is brendan was like i i just can't picture myself playing a show like that (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like for certain for certain bands i think like if you're going to see like a rock band player or something yeah cool like fucking let me sit down in this fucking weird pod and like have a couple of drinks and just like have a good time. But like, if you're going to like a punk or hardcore band or like a metal band, like that's just not the vibe, you know? So Brendan was just like, we're not fucking playing any shows until like shows are back for real. Yeah. I think it's like you said, you, you can understand it for some styles, but I mean, I would not want to go watch a hardcore concert or gig. Um, and they say, this is your box. Or pod, yeah. You got to stand in it. Can't you can't go anywhere? <laughs> you like know, like. And for and, and for the band playing, like like that can't oh be fun. God. You know, <laughs> it, yeah. it, it you know it, it's hard enough playing. You know, like doing like a, you know, doing like Soundwave, right? And just mm. kind of like being behind like a big barricade, you know. And there's that big gap. Like that's hard enough as is. Let alone like 
having that and then the fucking closest person to you is like a football field away or something you know Fuck. now an interesting thing i you know definitely wanted to talk about and you've mentioned it already is wrestling so the first question i've got is wwe or aew where do you currently sit uh to be honest man i haven't watched um it's funny i'm just sitting here on my laptop and i just saw some some dynamite clips pop up that look pretty cool i haven't really um I haven't been keeping up much in a while. It's it's just you know um, when I was when I was pl- when I was um, touring and stuff and and off between tours, I would just fucking sit home and just you know like all right like I'm catching up on New Japan from last night. I'm catching up on NXT and Lucha Underground and like just kind of was like my whole day was just like watching wrestling. And then I had a kid and then like started like working an office job and shit. And it was kind of like all right well. I don't have as much time. And then also like I'm, I'm into hockey. So like when hockey season's on, like I kind of, you know, that kind of, I'll like prior prioritize that first, you know? Um, and then I don't know. I just got a little burnt. I got a little burnt out in wrestling. Just like I was watching too much of it, you know? Um, so yeah, I've kind of the last, I don't know, fuck probably since we've been in like in, in the pandemic, if you will, like I haven't really, I haven't watched a lot. Occasionally I'll, throw on like AEW Dynamite or like NXT and just kind of try to catch up and see what's going on and you know I have a couple couple friends who work for both companies and try to like you know keep an eye on what they're doing and stuff but um but I haven't been like as on it um I think you know I think um I think both are cool you know I think that there's just super talented men and women in in both companies you know um I think a lot of people are very excited about AEW because it's new Mm. you know and um it's almost like uh i don't say it's the opposite of wwe but you know it's just kind of a little it's a little more energetic if you will so like less bullshit right you know Um, yeah so it's definitely it's definitely fun because it has the like early wcw kind of like vibes and even a little bit of an ecw feel to it um but i don't know i'm not one of those people that i'm just like i feel like i have to like pick a you know pick a side uh, i enjoy both of them yeah see i'm the same i mean you know i grew up probably like yourself on wwe so i'll always have that you know love for wwe um mm-hmm. you know i appreciate where both are my only thing that i wish you know, it's quite funny i think some of the wrestling fans are very much like hardcore metal fans and it feels yeah. like all the smarks now just uh, picking on WWE, it feels like they can't do anything right. Yeah. And I know that there are some things they're doing that aren't great, you know, storyline yeah. and, and everything, but it's, not it's everything It's a lot of sucks. dog shit, but you have to keep in mind that they've been fucking running, like, two shows a week for, like, 20 years. You know, it's like, mm. it, like how do you how do you consistently, like, put out a good product for that long? Like, think about bands, bands that who, you know, are like Metallica, for example, they've been a band for fucking ever. And like, you know, their last, you know, their last uh, couple of outputs, like, haven't been as good as their early ones. It's just like, you you know, you can only like, what do you like, what do you expect from from WWE? It's like they've done everything right. Like, I just for me, I wish they would just kind of I feel like they're fucking they're just greedy. Like, mm. I wish they would just do, like, one show a week and, you know, have it be a two-hour show. Like, like, a, like this thing, AEW's got one night a week, a two-hour show, 
and then they do like four pay-per-views a year or something or whatever it is, you know? I think that's a great format. It's just like WWE, it's just like it's too much. It's too, it's like over, it's overwhelming. It's like there's just too much wrestling to consume. Um, I, I had a hard time consuming it when I didn't have a job and I was just sitting around, you know, like it's just, it's just too much of an undertaking, I think. And then, you know, and if you want to watch other, other companies, it's like, fuck, I, I don't even have enough time to watch three weekly shows that WWE does, you know? Yeah. I, the other thing that I, that I've got problem, the, my, probably my biggest problem with WWE, um, I know I'm the same as you in 2020, I haven't watched much. I always look on like twitter or facebook and just see what happened in the shows but the one thing i've noticed is that wwe start a storyline or start a idea and then if it doesn't spark straight away and doesn't get the pop it wants straight away they just give it up abandon it yeah that's not how you run things they never use it you have to push it and see give it some time see if it works because some things they they just work at the last second yeah, some things you gotta gotta just kinda like wait it out a little bit, you know? It's like fucking it's like, you know, like victory it's like victory records in like the early two thousands, they'd sign mm-hmm. a million bands and if like the band didn't like pop off right away, it was like, Oh, see you later, on to the next one, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean I part of me hopes that like once Vince dies that like maybe the direction changes a bit and they kind of <clears throat> start to be smarter about you know like and kind of do more things that the fans want you know because mm. it feels like it still has a little bit of the old school mentality and and just i don't know just like stupid shit right like just i think i think that vince sometimes just does stuff that he like he gets a kick out of and it's like what do you like what are you doing like nobody <laughs> nobody nobody's enjoying this but like you're fucking 75 and like having to laugh about it you know um <laughs> Like, I just saw that they just split up New Day, and I was just like, yeah. fuck, man. Like, that's, like, that's, like, a big deal, you know? <laughs> like, so, I don't know. Just, like, things like, like, I, of course, like, you can't, you know, it's like the Shield, right? Like, when the, when the, when the Shield split up, I was like, fuck, like, that's, that's serious. Like, these guys are going to be, like, singles guys now. You know, and obviously, it worked out great for everyone. But at the time, you're kind of like, shit, like... Is this the time, you know? Um, I think New Day, I think the New Day split wasn't smart. And, you know, the one thing that's got me lately is Kevin Owens. I just don't understand what's happening with him. I don't think Seth, it's just weird. I think it's weird. I think Vince, you know, you've done amazing things. But even if you haven't passed away, I think you need to pass the torch to Triple H. Yeah, and that's the thing. For him, it's like he's not going to fucking pass the torch until he's dead, you know. You look what Uh, Triple H is doing with NXT and it's actually exciting. Um, and you imagine yeah, that, that as your role. Like the, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I think that once Triple H kind of like, and, and, you know, I'm sure the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, but he's definitely at least, I mean, look, at, just look at the people who, who NXT have signed over the last, you know, five to whatever, seven years. Like clearly like, you know, there's definitely was a time where like a dude, you know, a dude like fucking, Daniel Bryan or like Seth Rollins or Sami Zayn, like those dudes were not fucking getting signed to WWE, you know? So I think like, like NXT, like kind of uh, like taking, taking those guys in and like kind of, and, and, and Hunter, like, you know, I guess running that show is kind of like show maybe showed Vince like, Hey, look, like 
just because a fucking dude doesn't look like a bodybuilder doesn't mean that like he can't be a star, you know, like think, think about like, you know, some of the the biggest stars they've had in, in the last decade, like CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, like Seth Rollins, like they're not these like big muscle, muscle head dudes, you know, they're just like, like indie stars turned fucking mainstream stars. Yeah, he does. He does love the um, the muscle ones. I remember the guy. Mm-hmm. Remember Chris Masters? Yeah, Fuck. that dude was fucking shredded. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's a Vince. That's a Vince wrestler. Everyone yeah, listening. But the thing is, it's like Google. you know, like you're better. You're better off like signing someone like Rollins, and then hoping that he like puts on the puts on some weight and like physique, right? You know, like because the thing is, you you, you can't really. Um, you can teach people how to wrestle, but like, that doesn't mean that they're going to get it, you know? Mm. Whereas like, if you get somebody like, you know, like punk, like, or punk's not a good, not a good example. Like somebody like Daniel Bryan, who's like just a fucking like world-class wrestler, you know, like, and then maybe like put him in the weight room. So he like gets a bit bigger, you know, or Mm. like, or, or or whatever, you know, or like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of of it. of a good example i mean like obviously like roman reigns is a i feel like a rare example of like somebody who like they signed because he's this fucking monster but then like he he then he then picked it up and is like really good at it now you know um which i feel like they i feel like they do the re- they do the reverse all the time where they sign somebody but for the way they look and then like all right we got to teach them how to like speak and teach them how to wrestle mm. and a lot of the a lot of times it doesn't work out where it's like all right bring in somebody who can wrestle and then like take it from there which yeah. is, I feel like, what NXT does. Um, well, Vince, you know, hurry up, pass the torch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, Travis, what we do, everyone gets the same ending to their conversation. Your guest 140, and okay. what you get is the same as guest one got. So it's called Pick Your Poison. I'm just going to pick okay. your brain. It's a quick fire round. I'll give you two options. And you pick your favorite of the two. All right. Some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. <laughs> I'll try not to think too hard. I'll try to just go with my gut. Uh, pizza or burger? Uh, pizza. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Soft. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. Beer or whiskey? Whiskey. Coffee or tea? Tea. Have dinner at home or have dinner at a restaurant? Um, I guess restaurant. A new movie comes out. Watching it at the cinema or waiting to watch it on the couch at home? Couch at home, probably. Uh, day at the beach or day at the snow? Oh, fuck both of those. <laughs> um, Day inside. Yeah, uh, I hate the beach and I hate the winter, so it's kind of. I don't know. I, I, I guess I guess I'll go with beach because at least I can hide under like an umbrella or something or like, <laughs> you know, whatever. But not a fan of either. Uh, cat or dog? Dog. Uh, Super Nintendo or NES? So SNES or NES? Uh, let's go with the the old school Nez. Okay, 
Uh, Terminator or Predator? Predator. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Oh, Bourne, baby. I love fucking Jason Bourne. <laughs> I like. I think I, I think I like the Bourne trilogy like a lot more than like your average person does. <laughs> uh, Freddie or Jason? Uh, Jason. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. South Park or Simpsons? Uh, you know, it's funny, man. I don't, I don't watch either, but mm. I um, grew up like obviously the Simpsons were a big deal when we were younger, and like mm-hmm. it's kind of thing where like whenever I turn either on, I'm like, this is fucking brilliant and hilarious. But I just never like kind of like got super into either of them. Hmm. Um, but let's uh, let's say South Park. Okay, Undertaker or Kane? Oh, um, Undertaker. Hogan or Ultimate Warrior? Warrior. Triple H or HBK? Uh, HBK. Chris Benoit or Eddie Guerrero? That's a good one. Uh, uh, Eddie, I'll go with Eddie though. Uh, Randy Savage or Curtis Henning, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect? This is probably a, a bit blasphemous, but I'm going perfect. Oh, I love that answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was never super into, like, Savage or Hogan. I loved Mr. Perfect. He was one of my favorites. Yeah, he's sick. Um, last wrestling one. Uh, Rollins or Reigns? Rollins. Okay, now a couple of music ones. Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. Terra or Madball? Madball. H2O or Sick of It All? Sick of It All. <clears throat> Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Converge. And the last few. Um, when playing a show, do you prefer seeing stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Mm, stage dives. You go to a show, you're watching it from the pit or by the sound desk? And sitting sitting down in the balcony. <laughs> 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 no, yeah, I guess sound, sound desk if I have to pick one. <laughs> um, now, this one, you need one to go with the other. Um, and imagine you had to pick one. And it's either tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life. Uh, tour. And the last one is the triple one. It's the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. Now, do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Uh, I guess, I mean, this is like a, a shitty fucking like uh, 2020 answer, but I guess phone because what, what good is it to me if I'm not home, you know? <laughs> it's so true, man. And yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'd want the vinyl just to have, right, you know, to, to have on, on my shelf, but I need to be able to take it with me. And it's a hell of a lot better on your phone than those old anti-skip discsmans because they never, they, <laughs> they, they never yeah. actually didn't skip. Yeah, no matter what. That was shit. Like, fuck. <laughs> oh. um, Travis, first thing, thank you. Um, I really appreciate this, not only as a big fan, but... You know, just for the show, um, 
very relaxed, lots of fun. Um, I feel I only touched the tip of the iceberg, but I appreciate every moment. Um, and you're a fucking legend, man. I really, really, really appreciate this. <laughs> no worries, man. Thank you. It's nice to hear it. It's it's been a been a while since I've heard an Australian accent. <laughs> um, I was just ha- happy that I could understand what you were saying. Yes, yeah. Some people do struggle with uh, the accents. Um, yeah. Too easy. And down the track, uh, love to pick your brain more on wrestling and you know the industry. Yeah, if you um, if you. Are desperate enough to have me back for round two? Just let me know. Yeah, we'll see. Well, if this only gets two listens, then look, maybe we'll maybe we'll think again. Um, yeah. No, my no. mom and my dad. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say my two dogs. Um, yeah. But no, I'll definitely be in touch and um, definitely hit you up for a part two. Uh, you're a legend, cool. man. Have a good rest of your night. All right. Thanks, man. You too. I catch. See ya.
So that was my chat with Travis of This Is Hell. At the end there, you heard the track Black Mass. The second track was Acid Rain. Both of those songs are from the album titled Black Mass. The other song you heard was Bloodlines, which is from the album Weight of the World. And the final track you heard was The Polygraph Cheaters from the album Sundowning. So now it's that part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So take some time this week, delve into the massive, extensive, sexy discography that This Is Hell has. If you're into physicals, jump online, get yourself a CD, get yourself a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch, scope around. You might be able to find yourself a t-shirt or a hoodie. I need to take this moment to thank Travis again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you soon. Definitely, definitely doing a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 140 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So 
If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.